I feel like I sound very bad, but you look very bad, which is unfortunate given this is a podcast. Ugh, I only look bad now that I've got glasses, you know, it's just ruined my entire aesthetic. People have said the opposite. Wow, it's good. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget when my eyebrow goes up. It's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly catch-up of all things policy and politics where we go through our interesting bits, peaks and pits and anything that fits. This week is the Auckland special and I'm joined in the office by Madison Burgess-Smith. What's happening today? Morena Byron, very interesting episode up our sleeves here and we want to give listeners as much context as we possibly can. So we went out to the front runners of each mayoral race in both Auckland and Wellington. And last week we had our three Wellingtonian front runners, Paul Eagle, Andy Foster and Tori Fano. And so we did the same for Auckland, didn't we? We certainly did. We reached out to all of them. Remember when there was four? Remember, Remember when there was that? four? Remember when there were four front runners? Unbelievable. Feels like a lifetime ago. Viv Beck. In a statement, Beck says the decision comes with a heavy heart, but it's important to avoid splitting the centre-right vote. Leo Malloy invited us to his little clubhouse, his campaign headquarters, with the pool and the bar and the whole lot, and we were excited about that. Well, I'm looking at that thing behind me, it's got 2025 written on it, so it may well be a case of suspending rather than resigning. Wayne Brown comes back to me in, honestly, 40 seconds. And then there's Afiso Collins. The guy building a reputation for himself as being completely unreliable. Do you think we could pin that man down for 15-minute conversations, back and forth with his campaign team, who I will go on record and say were incredibly unorganised? We then hear through the Auckland grapevine that he's not meeting with the quote-unquote big end of town. It's good to be in that end, though. And that's the crux of the episode. We are too big for Efeso Collins. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, Efeso couldn't join us today. But in fact, Wayne just texted me Brown, made the effort to come on board. So today's episode, we're going to go through what are the big issues for Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, our biggest city. And we'll be joined by Chimathy, who many of you will know from Twitter. And she will kind of provide a bit of an overview at the big issues uh, in the city. And then we're going to go through an interview with Wayne Brown, who, according to the latest political polls, is the front runner. Kind of came out of nowhere when there were when there were four, when there was Viv, when there was Leo, and there were three on the centre right, and then one clear candidate on the left. The most stickability of the centre right. He stuck in the race for the longest time, and according to the latest poll, is the front runner. So let's see. To kick off this episode about Auckland is Chimanthi Sinhalagay-Fonseca. Did I get it? Perfect. Nice. So firstly, a little bit of background about yourself, and then we really want to dive into what's the mood of the city? Cool. Okay, well, let's talk about what the city's up to at the moment, because that ties in really nicely with my background. Originally trained to be a lawyer, as I finished that up, I realised I preferred the court of public opinion to an actual courtroom. And, I like um, that. That's, that's and a good line. Really cool. Yeah, well, it happens to be true too. I think, look, I think law and public relations are two sides of the same coin. I figured I wanted to do something that was meaningful, wide-ranging, and really could, could make a difference. I am a sucker for a challenge. 
And when you're kind of interested in a whole range of different things, you want some, you know, you want a career that lets you do that. In the past 10 years or so, I've been in the public sector, private sector, before moving back to Auckland. Um, I was down in Wellington, um, heading a boutique public relations consultancy, focusing mostly on kind of issues that cities deal with. And now I'm in Auckland working at Baldwin Boyle as a senior consultant, great list of clients and work in New Zealand and in the Asia Pacific. So that's what keeps me busy. And talk to us a little bit more about, I would say, your growing public profile. You comment on a lot of urbanist issues. You talk a lot about kind of the vibrancy of the CBD and just about what it means to live in a vibrant, viable, exciting, fun city. In New Zealand, sometimes it means that you really like messing about with bicycles, but it's not really for me. My vibe isn't so much just bicycles. I mean, I think they're great. Like if you can mm. do it, if you can swap out your car for it, great. But I think that urbanism is a lot more than that. And I think that it's actually a cultural shift that's needed in New Zealand. I mean, I was saying to Byron just while we were outside, like I was taking photos of construction mm. because for me, it was just exciting. It shows um, prosperity, prosperity, correct. Um, and also just kind of progress, progress right? Yeah. Because the city was excited about all of this. In New Zealand, that kind of cultural shift that I feel we need to have towards urbanism is also very much to do with demystifying urban living. Because I think in New Zealand, even now when I say I live in an apartment, a lot of people think, oh, you must be living in a shoebox on instant noodles while you cobble together money for a mortgage or whatever. So to you buy can buy a real house. In Glenfield, yeah, probably. probably Glenfield. Yeah. And no, I can't think of anything more terrifying. And the thing is that I think New Zealand needs to shift from that to actually apartment living is a very exciting way of living and actually you hit some of those like community goals and things that you look for in a neighborhood but to be honest how many of us can really say that we know our suburban neighbors and oh, all the rest of it right totally. so i think coming to that agreement that actually the inner city the central city here in auckland can be one of those communities itself correct and getting new zealanders used to urbanizing that's pretty challenging totally. what does auckland city need to make that happen in your view Oh, I think the city needs to know itself. In central Auckland, you have a really fascinating thing happening, and I think it's mostly a quirk or a silver lining of COVID. You have apartment buildings going up all the time, high-spec apartment buildings that were planned and paid for well before COVID hit. Yep. At the same time, you've had mass emptying out of apartments in the central city. Again, high spec, like where I live, um, where rents have dropped by about 40%. Gosh, that's a story you just don't hear. No, you, you don't, because Aucklanders seem to not understand what that means. So you've got this trifecta of incredibly high spec apartment stock, housing stock. You've got increasing affordability at this point in time, which if you don't actually lock in by taking this up, they can bounce up at a later date, right? And then the third thing is you've just got increasing supply with more buildings going up, yeah. right? And so Aucklanders, like I don't understand if you are double income, no kids, why you'd still be flatting in the likes of Dinks. Ponsonby. Yeah. It's a great acronym. Dink, yeah. Dual income, no kids. In fact, I mean, I would argue for you can actually have children in apartments, but I think that's probably something I don't particularly have the social license to do in New Zealand yet. Yeah, let's get the <laughs> dinks into apartments. Too far. Yeah. We'll, we'll work but on it. You hear Auckland being really down on itself, but you've got all these things that the likes of like Wellington trying very hard to get good housing going, get supply going. Why isn't Auckland consciously making use of that? 
Totally agree. And I think housing is going to be another massive issue of every local body election. What issues do you think, and thinking beyond just the central city as well, are distinctly Auckland-based issues that are going to, to make or break some of these mayoral hopefuls bids? I don't know in terms of distinctly Auckland issues. I think for me, having worked in local government and local government issues in other New Zealand cities, what I'm seeing emerge in Auckland is just sort of very similar veins of conversation, but just at a bigger level. And so, I mean, yes, we can talk about trains in a way, say the likes of Hamilton or even Christchurch or Wellington can't really do. They love trains. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not really trains, is it? it's a connectivity conversation. Oh, no, so people do really just correct, like trains. Correct, yeah. they do. But at the same time, I'm like very glad we're not having um, fluoride debates and water metering debates. In fact, one yeah. of the best things about the city is that we actually have water meters, yep. which makes us actually one of the most efficient water-using cities in the world, which I found out recently. If someone was to come to you, leaflet through the letterbox, yeah. and it's got one policy on it, and you read it and you think, I am absolutely voting for that candidate – what is the policy on that leaflet? There's the leaflet right there. <laughs> I actually think, and this is going to sound incredibly naff and actually is counter to everything I've heard in terms of what Aucklanders say, but I think it's the central city. And I'll tell you why. It's because central cities are the pumping hearts of the actual city, right? So over COVID, we've had this thing of, oh, well, we'll abandon the city, we'll work from home. We have the growth of, you know, suburbs are getting busier, suburban cafes are getting busier. You get a donut city. Correct. You get a donut city. And what that means is... nothing in the centre, listeners, and lots on the outside. It took me a while to understand that concept, so I'm explaining it to everyone else. Could also be a bagel. And what happens when you have a donut city is you lose agglomeration effects, right? So you've got all these broken up suburbs. Your local pub has more custom than it needs and your local cafe down the road from your home, your suburban home, has more custom than it needs. Mm. But actually when you lose the connectivity of all the people from the different suburbs coming in and mixing. Being together. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a – I mean, it sounds very Pollyanna, but actually the ideas that come from that, from people kind of clashing or or meeting each other serendipitously, Mm. that's all measurable. And there's a reason why cities around the world actually compete to showcase how good their city centres are. Because one, agglomeration effects create better outputs, um, more creative outputs. Uh, but at the same time, greater a city, productivity. Yeah, right? Correct. The, greater the productivity. productivity exactly correct. And at the same time, they're sort of the face of any city, right? And that face is so important because, as we see now in this brain drain environment, that face is so important for attracting talent. Major cities around the world are actually in bidding wars for talent. And in New Zealand, we've kind of gone. No, thanks. If you're focused on the central city, you fundamentally understand the role a central city has to play in talent attraction, which means you also fundamentally understand how much talent attraction then flows onto the labour shortage we yeah. have and all that kind of stuff. I could go on forever. No, but that is that is so true, the beating heart of city. What it represents to the world? How do you attract people and who wants to be here and thrive here? I think that's Correct. a really nice way to think about it. As is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we're going to run you through a quick hot or not. Now, Byron and I have flown here from the metropolis that is Wellington and we have pre-decided what we think the great issues of the Auckland mayoral <laughs> debate are going to be. We're going to run you through them. If you like them, they're hot. If you don't, they're not. Cool. First up on my list, a waterfront stadium. Definitely not. So my one is light rail for Auckland. Hot. Congestion charging. Tepid. 
My one is a bid tax for Auckland accommodation. Not free public transport. Hot, but I have views. Nice. I like when people say that instead of saying, here are my views, just yeah. listen to them before you press the buzzer. Yeah, nice. And the last one is very controversial. Anti-homeless architecture. Not. Perfect. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. Jamanti, thank you so much. Well, that was incredibly insightful. And I think it was really important that we preface with someone like that because you and I are guilty of being stuck deep, deep in the Wellington Beltway. Those kind of big electoral issues around urban density, transport, they're so different when it comes to Auckland. Auckland is a super city by all accounts and the mural race here is shaping up quite differently. With that in mind, we are now joined by Wayne Brown. Now, we recorded this interview a couple of weeks ago and have been reflecting on it a lot ever since. Have a listen. Today we are joined by mayoral candidate Wayne Brown, mayoral candidate for Auckland Council, just to make that 100% clear. So Wayne, thank you so much for taking the time and joining the Iron Duke podcast. No trouble. Brilliant. So first of all, what kind of mayor are you going to be? What's your elevator pitch? I'm going to be an effective mayor uh, with a great track record of fixing big, complicated organisations that are in trouble, which is pretty much what a description of Auckland Council is. And what is the biggest broken issue? There's kind of two equal ones, really. One's financial, but the other one is presentational, which is linked. The city is jammed up with unfinished projects. The council have put no pressure on the major contractors to, one, complete things on time, Mm -hmm. two, within budget, and three, without taking up the entire streets above them when there's no need for that at all. Uh, I mean, when I was put in charge of the building of New Zealand's biggest hospital, Auckland City Hospital, Um, because it got off to a bad start and was finished on time and on budget. I'm quite proud of that because it's the only hospital ever to meet that in New Zealand. It's the biggest one. And I knew the costs of that every day. At least once a week, I knew exactly where we were. We've been trying to get the finished date and the current cost expectation of City Rail Link. The council are not even very inquisitive. We have no... uh, If he said last night when I asked him, he said, oh, they're having a review and the review uh, will be out for a while, and you can't interfere until they win the review, and you think, that's disgraceful. That's a pretty good starting place for what's wrong. Yeah. And then it goes on. Let's talk about some of those system-wide issues that Auckland is seeing, stuff in and around transport, well, it's ongoing debates around the port, crime in the CBD. Any big fixes for those? Yeah, yeah well, those are three or four more. <laughs> and I don't, I'm a big-picture guy, you know. I mean, if I'm not going to get into someone's drain on, the, on a street outside Howick or something. Auckland Super City was announced with a great fanfare 12 years ago by Rodney Hyde, who should have stuck to ballroom dancing, <laughs> and um, promising savings, efficiencies, better contact with ratepayers. None of that happened at all. The state highway between Walkworth and Wellsford is actually now a city link road. It's been under construction for 10 years. And so I go through there regularly. I've never been through there without red cones and some drongo on a truck driving at five miles an hour in front of me to slow at, me down. We're pretty good at cones in New Zealand, aren't we? Yeah, that's how we know Man, that we're getting Man, if I could get the cones done. to vote for me, I'd fly on. <laughs> um, it's everywhere. All over the greater city there are unfinished projects. There is no sense of urgency from members of the council or the mayor about a single one of those ones. Fiso, who's actually quite a nice guy, shows no interest in the numbers at all. Mm. He's very good on social. He's very good. He's a nice guy. I actually quite like the guy. But if you you cannot afford to ignore numbers. Numbers are not just numbers. Numbers are the impact on people and their lives. That's kind of does that tell you what sort of mayor I am yeah, going to be? If I you don't so. get it, what sort of I, interview is this? 
I've got a question about your time as mayor of Northland. Obviously, one of the most impoverished parts of the country. What no, it's not actually. It's, a, it's the area with more growth than anywhere in Auckland. But a lot of challenges as well. What, yeah. what did you learn during your time there that you think you'll bring? Well, to I went in mainly to fix one thing at the time, which was the fact that you couldn't get a resource consent or a building permit. Right at the moment, Kerikeri is growing way faster than anywhere in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Kaitaia is more vibrant economically now than, than whole chunks of Auckland. It's good to hear you're passionate about Northland because it does get a bad rap. So, but I didn't want to come here to talk about that because I'm what I'm came here to talk about is how to get Auckland to catch up with some places that it slipped behind. One of the issues that local government in New Zealand has is that you're only one vote around the council table. How are you going to build coalitions in and around that council table so people come along with you and say, you know what, I'm behind Wayne, I'm with Wayne. Well, I mean, I've been doing leadership for years. You know, I mean, I've stepped into um, hostile boardrooms and whatnot. If you arrive at Transparo Victor after they've made a monumental blunder. Mm. Um, the people who've made it are already there. <laughs> and they're not that keen on some smart aleck coming in who has engineering expertise, yeah. which is absolutely missing for yeah. things like councils and power companies. There's always a few sort of blood noses at the start, but eventually everyone follows on quite well. Engineers, you know, we kind of lack empathy in, at the personal level, but we're very good at thinking about things for the greater good. What is the right thing for everybody? Because I'm here for the rate pays, really. Yeah, I don't actually need this income. It's insane. I'm tossing half a million in to get a job that wouldn't pay my GST. But <laughs> it should be seen as a good thing. Although around the table, you know, the other ones, we seem to have a contest to be the, ch- the poorest person on the stand. And it's a bit odd. It is a bit odd. It's a bit odd with councillors, isn't well, it, sometimes? You're bringing a fresh brand to the race, and we've got to appreciate that. Look, Wayne, as is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, we finish off with a hot or not. So they are topical ideas related to the conversation. If you like them, they're hot. If you don't, they're not. Kicking us off, anti-homeless architecture. Little spikes that people put outside their shop so people don't sleep outside. Yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of like a funny little thing for what is a real problem. I'm on the board of the Otahu, Otahu, but we call it Otahu. I get told off for that. Um, business association, because I've got commercial interests out there. And all the business associations are funded by a, a targeted rate on commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. And so they have a guaranteed income. Out there, we have our largest individual spend is security patrols mm. who are connected to CCTVs that we own. And mm. so someone's watching them and someone's out there day and night. Yeah. Net result, we don't need those little spikes. Exactly. There are no people living on the streets, there are no empty shops. And there are record retail sales because it's safe. Yeah. Queen Street, thank you to one of my mural opponents, did not spend their money on security patrols. They just bought some CCTVs, but no one's looking at them. Mm. Uh, and they might help the police who only come afterwards. Hence, we walk up Queen Street at night, and I live it in K Road, up above K Road, so I'm close. A dynamic part and of the city. Yeah, well, that's kind of... Voted one of the coolest streets in the world recently. Oh. Yeah, well, that's because it's got an eclectic mixture of a- activities, businesses, and humans, mm. and I like it. And it feels safe. Yeah. Queen Street doesn't. At night, it's dark. Um, Starbucks is the only place open. There is no sign of any security. And so you didn't don't need to do those things. Hot on business associations paying for... Security patrols. They've and, got money and for it. You'd start Love to clean it. up Queen Street. Very true. Make right. it safe, and then next thing you need to fix Queen Street is um, there's a lot of empty office buildings at the moment. So we have to get the planning staff to come up with a um, with 
and then maybe ignore some rules or work out somehow or other that they can get over themselves to make it easy for the office building owners to convert to more residential and more people living in mm. the city because people aren't going to be coming back to any CBDs around the world in the same numbers. Mm. I was in Papatoe the other day and those people are self-contained. They don't need to go anywhere else. They mm. haven't, no, I didn't meet a single person who's been into the city who had any thoughts about it. So my hot or not, my first one, is light rail for Auckland. Ice cold. Ooh, nice. My next one is congestion charging. Uh, lukewarm in the future because basically we're not ready yet. Yeah, just slightly, just slightly just a light, Just a light one. And my last one is a bed tax. Uh, again, that, that hasn't worked. I've spoken to the people involved. They get $19 million and, and it's given to Panuku, which is an audience, an, an organisation for which you can put coal down. Um, I'd rather that they um, kept the money and organised their own PR. I don't really pay rates to um, promote hotels or bakeries or Minter... Minter Allison Rudd Watts. Allison Rudd Watts. Thank you for hosting us today, Minter yeah, Allison Rudd. Thanks, guys. And, <laughs> um, that's not anti. I just don't want to pay rates to support you. Hear your point. Fair enough. And my last one, personal personal favourite, Waterfront Stadium. Oh, ridiculous that one is. <laughs> exactly. Can well, got dreams. Empty stadiums everywhere and there's nothing wrong with Eden Park. I've played on Eden Park. I don't think any of the other people have that are standing. I haven't, I haven't played on Eden Park, no. And, um, and so it's hallowed ground to me. But um, we, And we've got empty stadiums here. I went to QBE Stadium over to watch North Harbour a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. with um, Narimi Blair and um, there was you know, a very small crowd. And my, um, there was more people in security than there were people backing the other side. So, I mean, it was bizarre. <laughs> um, you don't need yeah. that. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for your time. I think this has given us a really interesting taste of what uh, you'd bring to the mayoralty. So, Wayne, thank you so much. Cheers. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your time. So that's Wayne Brown. A really interesting contrast to the Afiso Collins campaign. We wouldn't know, but we can see it through other podcasts, which he's chosen to go on, and through his uh, public statements. Very different leadership styles, very different approach to politics. That was the interview I've ever done. It was pretty intense. I've got to be honest with you, listeners. That was a pretty intense interview. He was, you know, quite firm. Not afraid to be quite blunt, quite aggressive. Yeah. Probably the biggest issue for me was his almost obsession over fixing Auckland's large infrastructure projects. And, you know, he's got quite a negative view on a big bunch of them. And it's kind of like, well, you'll be the mayor, if you are elected, Wayne, uh, of the second largest public entity in the country, essentially. So that's pretty big. But what really can you do for things like Central City Rail Link? What really can you do for, you know, water care in three waters? That's going to be that's going to be a tough one. And that style is going to rub up against central government. It's going to be quite interesting. The big takeaway for me is that there are a huge number of projects that need to get underway in Auckland. There is a council that needs to get on with that. And I don't think Wayne is going to be able to build consensus, given the way that he portrayed himself just then. It, um, is be a, it will be a very different style. I think we'll, we'll see a council that's just at gridlock, basically. It's going to be a very different style, and I'm going to leave it at that, and that's my most diplomatic way of saying. Between that and uh, Afiso, who didn't show up, it would be impossible to endorse a candidate even if we wanted to. But remember, uh, Aucklanders, Craig Lord is your only option, according to his signs. So <laughs> there is a dark horse out there which might be worth, uh, worth backing <laughs> in this situation. Sunday's the day. Make sure your votes are in, and until then, we'll, we'll see, see you next week. week.